Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I like the sound of that. Hey everybody, this is Star Wars fun for everyone, especially me. I'm your host, Tom Sutton. There have been a lot of fun uh, new developments, nice events in the Star Wars galaxy since the last podcast, so uh, plenty to talk about. Uh, before we get to all that, I am uh, warm and cozy on the couch after a fat home-delivered curry. Um, I was in a celebratory mood because uh, my brother just bought his first house. Um, and uh, I thought, this this calls for home-delivered celebration, so... Um, that was good stuff. A um, couple of other things that were delivered. Um, so some time ago, I bought a kind of like a prop re replica of Han Solo's DL-44 blaster. Um, yeah, I, I was really lucky. I got it for a really good price. I think the scope had broken off once and he ha he'd had to like super glue it back on. So that um, made it a bit cheaper, I guess. I don't know, but I got it um, for a good price. And as with the lightsaber, there's, you know, a bit of a, a risk of getting it and going, huh, cute, and then not getting that much fun out of it after that. Uh, I guess anytime you buy stuff you don't need, there's a danger of that. Um, but I have found myself picking it up and monkeying around with it pretty often and having a good time with it. And um, I also felt like... It would be a really good addition to one or two of the costumes that I'm working on. So, um, some time ago, I uh, jumped on Etsy and um, found myself a, a holster for it. Now, I may have talked about this in the past. I've always been a huge fan of Han Solo's low-slung holster. It's just, I mean, he's cool for a billion reasons, but that it, the exact like positioning of that blaster holster and the way that sits on his on his thigh like that, it's it really um, contributes to his coolness. Um, and again, I may have mentioned this before, but um when my band Night Viper was just starting to come together, one band name that I was thinking of was Low Slung Holster. And <laughs> nobody wanted that. And they were right, actually. But um, yeah, so I've always loved the DL-44 in the Low Slung Holster. Um, now, you can get, of course, uh, replicas of Han's uh, belt and everything with the holster. Those are pretty pricey because it's a pretty complicated piece of uh, equipment. There's the belt. There's these like um, secondary strap bits, and there's the buckle, and then there's all this other like kind of equipmenty stuff on it. Um, you know, space stuff that smugglers might need. Um, and of course, that would have been cool, but I'm not. I'm not actually wanting to dress up like Han Solo, so uh, I don't. I think you know that belt is his belt. You know, um, I think that blaster 
It's kind of his blaster, but for example, like Luke's blaster in um, The Empire Strikes Back looks quite a lot like a DL-44. So, and of course, if you think like in-universe, it's not like only one of those was ever made. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to get like a cool holster for it. So I ordered one from Etsy and... Um, you know, uh, th thanks to today's tracking technology, I saw that it was in the country. Um, I got a, a notice, you know, when you buy stuff from outside the EU, you have to pay um, import tax. I got a notification. I paid the import tax. And then like four days later, um, I hadn't had any kind of like notification or like I think I checked the app and it it still said stopped in customs. And I was just like, Like, I, I, I wouldn't expect it to have arrived already, but it's weird to have paid this import tax four days ago and it's still listed as stopped in customs. So I kind of pursued it a bit and it turned out that basically, like, PostNord had fucked it up <laughs> and um, sent it back. And their reason was uh, they, the reason they gave me was like insufficient information on uh, the the um, on the customs form under uh, contents. So I contacted the seller, and anyway, it, in the end, he said like it's on its way back to me. We can cross our fingers, fingers; it'll get to me. Unfortunately, when things get returned, they don't get tracked, so you just have to hope for the best. But I will just send you another one. So. Uh, Bobby, good on you, mate. Um, and it finally uh, finally arrived. Uh, a f when did it? Yeah, at the beginning of of the week, sometime. And it's great, like uh, the the way it sits on on the belt and the way the the length of it is it's low slung to the correct degree. Um, it's great. The only thing I kind of, I also, <laughs> I also fucked up kind of is, um, that, uh, so of course there's that cool leg strap and, um, the, the guy who makes them says like, uh, you can just take like my standard measurement for that. Or if you measure your thigh and tell me, I can make sure it's the right size for you. Um, and I just kind of thought like, I mean, I'm of average build, you know, I would say that my size and Han Solo or Harrison's Ford, Harrison Ford's size would be pretty comparable. So I was like, yeah, I, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, I of course did not take into consideration that it was coming from the U S so, uh, way too big, <laughs> Luckily, my friend Amanda is a leather-working genius, and uh, so I think she will help help me uh, put an extra uh, press stud. What's uh, what's it on there, so I can uh, get it to the right size? Uh, but yeah, that turned out really good. And also, I also ordered this. Um, like I'm into, uh, like I love the little like pouches and stuff on people's belts in Star Wars, and. Um, I have kind of a pouchy thing um, that I will sometimes, you know, wear on my belt to put my 
phone or keys or whatever in. And um, I saw these really nice looking ones uh, from a like, you know, military surplus Etsy store. And I think it's like ex-Yugoslavian ammo pouches or whatever. They're like connected. There's two of them together. And I was just like, man... That's gonna add real Star Star Warsy vibe to any any costume. So a awesome and b I reckon I would actually use those in real life. So I ordered those and it was like extremely cheap, like two hundred and twenty crowns or something, like free delivery. So that's you know twenty five bucks or whatever Ameri uh, American American for twenty five American dollars and it's um. Yeah, you just, you, it, they're from the 80s, and you just can't beat that that used look, you know? Like, no new piece of leather is going to look anything like a, a vintage piece like that. So, um, yeah, that arrived, and it looks super good. Um, I've had a couple of uh, dress-ups... <laughs> since those things arrived and uh, it's looking really good. Um, I really have to commit to weathering some of this stuff properly because it, everything looks too new. But I'm also like a bit like hesitant to really start trying to like mess things up. I just, I'm kind of scared that I'm going to get it wrong and it's going to look crap and dirty and crap instead of just a bit too clean. But we'll see. That's all been pretty fun. Um, now, one of the big things that happened this, uh, since my last podcast was of course that season one of the Bad Batch ended. Um, it was really good. Uh, the end of the season was really strong. Um, I am not the first person who's going to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, those last two episodes, why didn't they just make it one big final episode? Like when you look at that that opening the opening episode that was like seventy minutes long, it just kicked ass and it just felt it felt big, it felt important, and like some of the maybe some of the moments that were less than like huge, you just really it was still fine because it was part of this really um, great whole where you learned a lot and saw a lot of cool stuff happen. Um, with the last two episodes of The Bad Batch. I mean, no, you can even say last three. Because I reckon the, the third to last one. Like, the last two are parts one and two. They're listed that way. Uh, but I, I would say, like, the, the third to last episode was also kind of part of that, out, that arc. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, the second to last episode was packed with really cool stuff. Um, you get, you know... Crosshair and the gang finally come face to face to kind of talk things out a bit. That's that's big, you know, and you get, I mean, the destruction of Camino. You don't see it end until part two, but basically you're like, oh my god, this is this is it. They're like shipping out everyone they want, and well, I guess getting rid of anyone they don't want, and they're getting rid of um, Tapoka City, I think it's called, on Camino. That was a big moment. Like even me, like a a not not big fan of the prequels, I really it felt like pretty like a significant saga moment for that to happen. 
And then once you get to the, you know, part two of the finale, it's like 80% of it was escaping the wreckage of the city. Uh, and then there were a couple of nice kind of character bits and whatever, but it did feel a bit like, well, this is, this is kind of a coda to all the important stuff that happened in the episode before. So that last episode felt a bit underwhelming. But if it had been all together as one episode, I mean, people would have come out of it going like, holy shit, they destroyed Topoka City and... Crosshairs, you know, blah blah blah, and it, I think everyone would have been super pumped. Um, I haven't gotten around to watching them back to those episodes back to back. I haven't rewatched anything since. I mean, I, I generally I watched a lot of the episodes twice. As I think, as the as the season went on, it felt a bit like okay, like I'm less overexcited about this now I can watch episodes once but um I think that I will get to the point maybe before season two comes out I will re-watch some of the most um uh important episodes because uh yeah I, I really think it was good and um you know a lot of people you know, there have been kind of like discussions about which um tv which Star Wars animated series had the strongest first season I reckon it was this one with the Bad Batch it had some forgettable episodes, but overall, I think it was really, really good. Um, we also got the Visions trailer. Um, now, I'm going to basically echo what I said about it before, which is it looks really cool. Um, I would have preferred... Um, stuff, you know, done in anime style, but that's still... Like it could still be part of Star Wars. Not that it had to be canon. It doesn't I, I? I think it's great that they're not making it canon. That's good. Um, but most of this doesn't look like it's from the Star Wars that we know and love. Whereas something like uh, that fan-made Tie Fighter um, short uh, that you can find on YouTube, like that. I mean that that looks like it comes straight out of the movies pretty much, you know, except done like a Robotech episode, you know? So in some ways I kind of go like, oh, this is be this will be cool. But it's also like, I mean, in some ways I think maybe because the reaction has been really positive. Like people seem super pumped for it and I am looking forward to it, but I'm not like super excited. It could be like, I mean, I, I did live in Japan for 10 years and the kind of novelty of anime wore off during that time. You know, it's, I don't feel like that the rush of this kind of like exotic, um, unfamiliar culture or anything, you know, it's just like, Oh yeah. Japanese cartoons. Seen a lot of that. Um, now having said that, I think, I mean, there's one in particular and I, so it's this kind of like scratchy looking, mostly black and white one. That looks killer. The shot with um, the uh, the Death Star droid looking thing with the like the rotary gun, and then the the guy with the like umbrella lightsaber thing, and that's the one that looks super killer to me. 
Um, and I would say, like, I think that's the one that's connected to the Ronan. Uh, yeah, there's the Ronan novel that's going to be coming out around then. So I'm glad that the novel is looks to be, um, you know, telling the story of the one that looks the coolest to me at the moment. But let's see how it goes, you know, like... I, I mean, I have to, like, are you watching Marvel's What If? I think that is super good. Totally kicking ass. And it, it, like, I feel like the thought that's gone into it and the time and money that's gone into making the animation as good as it is, I, I get a bit jealous when I, when I see stuff like that. I just feel like... Wouldn't mind seeing this level of um, 2D animation in Star Wars. It's just so good, man. Like, obviously, like, Bad Batch is as good, I would say, animation-wise. It's just that it's... Uh, it's still that Clone Wars look. I would like a new... Something, something new, kind of. And, of course, Visions is this. It's, it's something new. Um, but... If there's too much of it that doesn't really... If it's just like, oh, well, the only way this is kind of Star Wars is that, that that weapon they have more or less looks like a lightsaber. Then, yeah, I don't know what the point of it is really. But, uh, of course, I'll be, I'll be there to watch it. I'll be there having a good time probably. And, I mean, I'm just happy that, that people are pumped about it because, um, yeah, the more cheerful Star Wars fans, the better, you know. Um, another big thing was the, um, special episode of, um, Disney Gallery, uh, the behind the scenes thing for, uh, the Mandalorian. Of course, this was, uh, the behind the scenes thing for the final episode of season two with the return of Luke Skywalker focusing on that. Um... Because I didn't love that sequence as much as uh, the entire rest of the freaking universe, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's there's a little bit of a like bittersweet kind of feeling for me. Um, I mean, there's aspects of it that really just nail it for me, um, but there are things that I'm not super into. So. Uh, yeah, it was cool. It was great to see Mark Hamill. Great that they, you know, brought him in to uh, be involved. Even though, I mean, it's funny. Like, I mean, his body was done by someone else. Um, but, you know, he was on set and kind of he did the scene. And I guess they used... Mm, I don't know, but they, yeah, the, of course they you put him in this egg thing. If you've seen it, it's this like performance capture thing for face, facial expressions and whatever. So yeah, it's great that he was involved. Um, what was kind of crazy, like I remember when I saw the episode and I was having kind of mixed feelings about the whole thing. One thing that I thought they really did a great job with was the voice. I thought it was just sounded bang on young Mark Hamill. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is, uh, this is killer. 
I'm guessing they just got Mark to, to do the lines and then um, try to young himself up or they just, uh, you know, processed it. Maybe, you know, you can, if you pit, pitch someone's voice up a bit, they uh, they sound younger. But what it actually was, was this um, voice replication technology um, where it's basically like the same thing as a deep fake algorithm where you feed it hours and hours or as much as you can of someone's voice and then tell it what to say and it will come out in that person's voice, you know. It will replicate that person, the way that person talks and the tone of their voice and everything. Um, now, I'm actually a bit unclear about that. Like, does somebody say what they want to be said, and then that is recorded and then put into the into the program, and, that, and then it spits it out with the sound of the voice changed? Because it sounded like they didn't actually even get Mark Hamill to read those lines. It sounded it, the impression I got was that they just like typed it, and but I don't understand how you get like there's so much in a performance with the timing and the delivery. Like I'm assuming, like if you even if the voice is matched and you, but if you just type it and hit play, don't you get the kind of like. I am Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, like I, I'm assuming it would just come out very robotic and flat. So I'm not sure why it wouldn't be that you get someone to do a performance and then basically put that performance into the program and then th that would spit it out sounding like someone else. But I don't know. Maybe I've misunderstood that. I kind of want to check up on it. The other kind of weird thing about it was uh, they talked a lot about deepfake te technology and they seemed to spend hours talking about like, oh, you know, this is kind of a new era and it's a bit dangerous having this deepfake technology because people can use it for nefarious purposes. And they just seemed to be banging on about that for ages. And I just felt like, I don't care. I don't care. Like, yes. Okay. Yeah, I knew that. Like, it's like watching a documentary about cars and going, but you can crash them. You can crash them into stuff. If you crash them into people, those people can die. Like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> like, so, um, well, just tell me about the car. And in this case, it's just like, I don't really care about the potential dangers of deep fake. Like, um, it was weird that, like, I mean, I think we, I've talked about it before, but uh, there are people, you know, online doing amazing things with deepfake technology, you know, to um, make fake performances of famous people. And it's like, whenever I see that, I just, I just think about Tarkin and Leia and now Luke. I just think, why aren't they using this? Like, I understand um, there's, everything is more complicated than you think it is, you know. Every job on the planet is more complicated than you know, you know, unless you're doing it, in which case, you know. Um, 
So it was a bit, I don't know, like I'm not sure why they didn't end up going for that and why they decided to go for the kind of digital de-aging technology that they, you know, used. Um, it has been used quite a lot in the Marvel films and stuff. Eh, I don't know. I, th- I, I, I think one of the nice things about like Disney Plus being the only outlet for this material is that like a year from now, if they want to release a base, you know, if they just want to update it, they can just do that. And I mean, personally, I don't care if the old one is still available or not. I just think it's not great. So I would just like a better one. Um, but, you know, for, for, for posterity, if you wanted to keep the original version in the extras, yeah, why not? But I just think like they've... They've hired this guy who's been doing a lot of deep fake work on YouTube. Um, so wouldn't it be nice if a year from now they just did a... Especially like leading up to season three of The Mandalorian. It would be really fun if they were like, ah, we've, we've updated Luke's uh, digital face and it's better now. And that would be really fun. I mean that was like that was one of my concerns about that sequence, not even the main one I would say. But um But yeah, it was just nice. I just love behind the scenes stuff. I love um here especially, you know, like when we're talking about Star Wars, people are just so pumped to be a part of it and um Dave Filoni again, you know. I don't love everything he's done in Star Wars, but he does really get it. Um, and it's always a joy to hear him talk Star Wars. So that was good stuff. Now, a bit of an interesting thing that just came out in the last week or so. So Tandy Newton, um, she played Val in Solo, which, as you will know, it's one of my favorite Star Wars movies, and I love her. I love her in the film. The number one thing that I did not like, really the only thing that I did not dig about that movie was how she died. Um, and I didn't like it for a couple of reasons. Um, now, the social reasons are something we will get to. Um, but I just think it didn't really make sense. Um, I think I saw the film three times before I kind of worked out like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Now I kind of get why she felt like she had to sacrifice herself. But the film really doesn't do a good job of drawing a direct connection between her sacrificing herself and the survival of the, the crew. It just felt so unnecessary. And, um, I think if you're there, like after seeing it three times, finally working out like, eh, okay. So she felt that if they didn't deliver the coaxium, then Dryden Voss would be after them and they'd get killed. And so if she, uh, it, it just seemed ridiculous to go like, wait a second. So instead of. Risking maybe not getting it, 
and then going, oh, shit, all right, well, there's going to be a bounty on us. We should just really try to disappear and start again. Like, as if you would take, like, well, suicide it is. Like, that's really weird. Um, yeah, so I just remember I didn't like that. Um, so it's interesting to hear what Tandy Newton said just recently about this. Um, and as I said, after we read what she says, we'll get into the, uh, the kind of social, um, aspect of it. So this is what she said. I felt disappointed by Star Wars that my character was killed. And actually, in the script, she wasn't killed. It happened during filming. And it was much more just to do with the time we had to do the scenes. It's much easier just to have me die than it is to have me fall into a vacuum of space so I can come back sometime. So I could have come back at some point. But when we came to filming, as far as I, I was concerned and was aware, when it came to filming that scene, it was too huge a set piece to create. So they just had me blow up and I'm done. But I remembered at the time thinking, this is a big, big mistake. Not because of me. Not because I wanted to come back. You don't kill off the first black woman to ever have a real role in a Star Wars movie. All right, so from a story perspective first, very interesting that in the finished product, that sacrifice scene kind of makes no sense because guess what? That's not how it was supposed to go. So when stuff is sticky taped together at the last minute, sometimes it falls together and you don't know, notice. You know, like Vader's hallway scene in Rogue One. Like, you can't imagine that movie without it. That was thrown in at the last minute, man. It was not at all part of the original script. And it worked. Big time. This one? No. Nah. No buys, as the colonel might say. Um, it just it was, it was terrible, you know. So interesting to know uh, to find out that it was not a uh, considered thought through decision. It was basically a, a byproduct of the difficult situation they were in, which was basically refilming almost the entire film. So now she's also right on that we have finally have a uh, a woman in a Star Wars film with dark skin and dialogue and stuff to do. And you just turf her. <laughs> See you later. Um, I think there is a line between being aware of... Okay, I'm a white dude, right? A straight white dude. So I think if I was in that situation, I would definitely want to be sensitive to, or like, I would want to be be thoughtful about decisions like that. But I also think that sometimes, like, the story is the story. The characters, they're going to go where they kind of need to go. Um, 
it's not like like every time someone with dark skin doesn't end up in the center and uh, it means that the they are a victim of uh you know subconscious racist programming uh in the minds of the writers or director or producers or whatever but often it is that that is the case so um it is super unfortunate that that is what ended up happening um and super unfortunate that like they they've ne- they lost for themselves Tandy fucking Newton like she is a talent she's kind of she's a star she's fantastic i love her, her work and um to have an angry Val coming back f- from um an unpleasant trip through the vacuum of space or whatever that would have been cool I would have loved to have seen more of her. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But it's being talked about. John Boyega spoke up on that issue as well. He spoke directly to um, Kathleen Kennedy about it. I think that we can expect better from Lucasfilm on upcoming projects. Speaking of upcoming projects, there's nothing now coming out, of course, about uh, Book of Boba Fett or Kenobi or Mando Season 3 and or The Acolyte. There's n- nothing really officially coming out, but it is all... It's all happening over there somewhere. And it, it is, that is super exciting. Like, it's quite... You know, since the Bad Batch finished and Loki finished, I mean, we've got What If, which I'm, man, loving the shit out of that. But it's also like, man, I'm, I, f- I really miss having new Star Wars. Holy shit. So, um, but it's, I, as I said before, you wait till that, that tidal wave starts to hit, then it's just going to be on for young and old. Cannot wait. All right. Um... I uh, recently have not been reading as much of the Return of the Jedi behind the scenes book because um, I found a book on uh, back stuff, you know. I've mentioned before that I have uh, some serious back stuff to deal with and it seemed like this book might be something to really help me. So I kind of put down all the rest of my reading material to crank through that um but i do have a couple of things from the making of return of the jedi um there were a couple of cool things this first one provides some cool detail a bit of nitty-gritty regarding the um basically once they get into the editing stage And again, I read this to draw attention to, like, how much, how much hard work goes into these films and how amazing, like, it is that, like, Return of the Jedi, it, in general, a lot of people feel like it's their least favorite of the trilogy, of the original trilogy. I think mostly because of the Ewoks, because I don't know, the rest kicks ass. And I love the Ewoks because I grew up with it. Um, but I can understand why some people wouldn't like them, maybe. But um, 
overall, kick-ass, classic, classic, classic movie. But it didn't always look that way to the people making it. So we're going to listen to this, uh, this, this uh, part from the book talking about the film as it enters the editing stage. Here we go. Um, okay. But the big news, after four rough cuts had been viewed in various forms, was that Marquand and Barton, I believe he was the editor, were ready to screen the director's cut for Lucas, Kazanjian, Marcia Lucas, Dwayne Dunham, and a few others, on or around August 19th. At 127 minutes, one second, its 12 reels contained live-action footage shot at Elstree and on location, but not a single visual effect shot. A bad buzz had preceded it. You've got to give the director his first cut. Kazanjin would say. But I remember seeing the scene where the Emperor is arriving and is met by Vader and they walk down this huge docking bay, but cutting back and forth between the two, the screen direction was wrong. Backward. I thought, oh, God. Is that what? Oh, gee, sorry. Oh, gee. But I can understand how it went wrong on that particular scene. George knew that it wasn't going to be good, Rothman would say. He had this kind of dread of what he was going to see. He told me that when they sat down to watch it, Richard Marquand said, We've worked really hard on this, and as good as and this is as good as this movie's going to be. <laughs> oh boy. They watched it and basically said, Thank you, Richard. George took it over at that point. He just rolled up his sleeves because he was going to be in the editing room for a long time to get this film done. We didn't get it right for George, Barton would say. We had a screening at George's house. It did not go down well. Everybody said, well, let's get back. Let's get to work. Richard had interpreted George incorrectly or his instincts were moving in a different direction, assistant editor Steve Starkey would say. To get the tone and the style, the stamp of Star Wars, it was clear that George felt he was going to have to step in. That's what happened at that screening. It was the turning point where George dove in and from the beginning started recutting. The first cut on a film is never wonderful. It's never good, Lucas would say. It's just a tradition. It's always horrible and you live through that first cut and then you start fixing it. So, it's just so interesting to think of this um, just total classic and people were looking at that first, you know, that first cut of it and just going like, oh. And it's also crazy to think of how, like it's hard for someone like me who's never made a film to really understand like, what did they see? What was the difference? What, I mean, the scenes were the, were the scenes. Now, obviously, you shoot a lot of stuff. And part of making a good film a good film is choosing the right stuff. So it's just really, like, interesting to wonder, what was it that uh, was, a, what did that first cut look like? And what, 
what about the editing was not working? And it's also really cool to just go like, because, you know, I, as, as a, you know, someone who was frustrated with uh, some of George's Star Wars output at certain times, um, I do like to try to give props to George when I can, just to remind myself and anyone else that at the end of the day, he is a 100% solid gold freaking genius, you know? Um, so it sounds like a lot of, you know, the greatness of Return of the Jedi is, uh, we, we, of course, we still have to thank George for it. Especially since George was going through some extremely heavy stuff at the time. Take a listen to this. From the book. What, knew on knew, what no one knew, neither his closest collaborators nor his top executives, was that Lucas had recently been devastated by a request from his wife, Marcia, for a divorce. I was, destroy I was destroyed because I had no idea. It just came out of the blue, Lucas would say. I was trying to finish the movie, but now I was also going through a divorce. I tried to hold myself together emotionally and still do the movie, but it was very, very hard. I was going through this huge emotional turmoil through, mo through most of the post-production and barely standing. It was an act of great energy just to get up in the morning and go to work. I was so, so depressed. Many of his comments made from this time up to the release of the film must be seen through this through the optic of his impending divorce. For Lucas, the triumph of finishing his space fantasy trilogy would take place in the shadow of personal anguish. Oh, that's heavy. What a horrible situation for him to have been in. I have been married myself and uh, quite I gotta say I got a lot in common with George here. I also didn't see it coming. It was very out of the blue for me. Uh, it was her who decided and at that point I kind of had no, nothing I could say or offered was you know did anything to change her mind and I just had to accept it um and uh it sounds like George had a similar experience here and um for him to be under that kind of pressure with trying to finish a film like that while going through that experience I mean again George we owe you big time. Yeah, really amazing. All right, folks. You know what time it is. It's time for What's That Noise? Or What's That Noise? See, I, I can do different line readings. I can, I'm kind of an actor myself, actually. All right, just so you know, like, I am definitely not an actor. <laughs> I was just totally misquoting the Willem Dafoe meme, the, the Spider-Man meme, sorry. Um, let's do this. Let's pick a number. 147. <coughs> what the hell? 
Sorry, that's one of the grossest ones we've had on the show. Listen to it again. Oh, <laughs> nah. nah, man. I mean, I'm guessing this is like something from Jabba's palace. Is it like a Gamorrean guard getting something unpleasant done to him, maybe? Hmm. I'm going to have to look this one up. It's pretty cool, though. Like, it's gross, but it's a good sound. Or a good collection of sounds. Sorry, I'm just, you know, turning pages here. Turning pages. Oh, well, that's interesting. Okay, that's interesting. This was, in fact, the Sarlacc pit. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Makes sense now. Nice and gross. All right, let's take a. Let's do another sound. To me, that sounds like Adat's walking. Let's take a look. I'm pretty sure. Yep, that's Adat's walking. Tom gets one right. All right, let's do another one. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. <laughs> well, I think we uh, we know who who that is. It's Mr. Low Slung Holster himself. Let's try this. Ooh. That is <laughs> So my dad claims that his favorite Star Wars character in the world is Salacious Crumb, so that one was for you. Sutty. Alright, folks. I think last episode we started um, our scene-by-scene -scene commentary of The Last Jedi. So it's time to jump back into that. Let's do it. All right, we uh, finished up last episode with... Um, man, I got to say, one of my favorite openings to any Star Wars movie. I think there's only maybe one little detail or something that I'm not super into, but the rest is fantastic. So what we've got right now is um, the crew of Hux's Star Destroyer watching the Dreadnought go down. So let's continue from there and see what we got. Got swooping X-Wings and A-Wings. Love it. Oh, this, this shot with... Pose X-Wing just like slamming its way into oh my god this is great this sequence this bit this oh I gotta okay no I'm back I'm back I think I said before I've, I got away from pausing it too much because um, it's nice for people listening if they know the movies well enough they can kind of follow on with where I am but I feel like I got stuff to say. So, yeah, that shot of Poe, like, just doing that, like, killer, like, like just making it into the, uh, the hangar bay of that, uh, of that resistance ship. 
super just cool and dynamic looking. And then just, and you watch the ship take off and you just see Hux's face. And then you get this like, Snoke is contacting you and he like tries to play it off like he's totally okay with that. And this is what happens. Look at, wait, wait, look at that fucking coat he's wearing, man. I think I need a coat like that. Amanda, are you listening? Can you make me this coat? It is so cool. Wow. Listen to that voice. I love this. I love that. I mean, Snoke's the king of like the gig of the gigantic holo. What do you what do you call it? Holograph holographic message. Is that what they're called? Uh, I don't know. Anyway. I love that it's just this giant face that it just appears on the bridge. That is super cool. And the processing on his voice just makes it sound really ghoulish. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, dude, the way he just like face plants him. It looks... Okay. That, okay, that line there, we have them tied on the end of a string. That leads me to one criticism I have of the film. We'll get to it, though. This is great. Finn in the med, uh, med, medi, what's a blah, 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 med, medical thing. It's interesting. Like, I mean, I think his only major film before, the, before doing Star Wars was Attack the Block. And he's not funny in that movie. He's like, really, he's dead serious. The fact that he's this funny... Oh, but look at that. I mean, that X-Wing looks so freaking good. BB-8 looks amazing. Poe looks pretty handsome. <laughs> this shot of just like Finn wandering out there with his bag pissing medical bacta or whatever all over the place. Listen to this. Bam. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? I love that. Their friendship is one of my favorite things in this trilogy, so. And here we go. Off to Akhtor. This is great stuff. I mean, that... That theme... I mean, that's up there with... John Williams' best stuff for me. I would really like to visit that island someday. It's possible, of course. Not easy, but possible. Skywalker Saber. There it is. Oh, I mean, Luke looks amazing in that, in the robes. But here we go. The saber toss heard around the world. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds. I think he could have dropped it. 
And it could have been like this really dramatic moment and then it wouldn't have bothered people. But the fact that it was kind of played for shock value, played for a bit of a laugh or a combination of shock and laugh. Um, like, uh, I, I just remember being in the cinema and going, what? <laughs> like... I mean, actually, in this film, there, there there had already been at least like two or three of those moments, you know, even in the short time that we've been watching. Like, and that one was like, whoa. And like, it's cool because at that moment, you're so like, okay, now I don't know. I haven't got a clue what's going to happen now. It would have been pretty predictable for him to like, hold, you know, see the saber and his voice quivers. His, his, it's been so long or something, you know, and they get like a Luke coming back and ah, I don't think anyone would have complained. <laughs> would have been cool. But um, having said that, I mean, this was a more interesting way to go. I just think that if they, if they had maybe gone for drama rather than this like shock value, then, uh, it might've worked for more people. I love the, what do they call these? The little stone house thingy-me-jigs. You know, every, okay, I love the framing of this shot. You have the hut, you have Ray at the door, and you have this beautiful, like she's framed between the door and this amazing just mountainous terrain island terrain and she's like standing between the two it looks so good every time I see this like so she uses her her staff to knock on the door and every time she does that I see like that staff is heavy <laughs> you can see how she's handling it it's like I think if it was me or if this was a real situation you would not use the staff to knock on the door because it's like too awkward but hmm I just love Ray's outfit here. I just like, again, I feel like the design on that character is spot on. And a pretty nice looking low slung holster you got there. That shot there. Oh man, come on. We just have this just ocean just going for as far as far as the eye can see on the left in the, at the hut there. Super good. And that kind of like, the echoing of porgs, you know, the, the porg calls, just really, to me, tells the story of how, like, oh, oh, oh man, like, I've, I'm a long way from home, <laughs> and now I'm standing out this outside this hut. You see that you see Luke's X-wing underwater there. Go away. Now. A lot of people have wondered. Obviously, he's in those robes because JJ put him in those robes, right? Um, and I guess Ryan wanted to put him in something more humble and more day-to-day -to, -day to show that he, you know, 
had left the Jedi life behind him. So that didn't, I mean, the continuity doesn't really line up there, like storyline wise. Like, why is Luke standing there in full Jedi robes when Rey arrives? Now, some people said, well, he was like, you know, later in the film, he says, I came here to die, you know. Um, and he was contemplating the end or. Maybe he was already thinking of burning the books at that point and he was getting ready to do that and that's why he was dressed that way and now Ray's come and kind of interrupted either the sacred text burning or the suicide or whatever was going on and he's so he's putting his normal clothes back on. I don't know. Um, not the worst thing in the world, but... Bam. Ah, oh, I love Chewie kicking the door down. And then listen to this. That right there. Wait, where's Han? Yeah, man. Like, I, I really like that. I think it could have been really tempting to do some kind of, like, big, like, emotional, like, oh, my friend, he's, you know, something, you know. Um, but just that, like, him connecting the dots, like, Chewie's here, they're in the Falcon. Where's Han? Oh, really sad. It's really good, though. Um, let's do one more scene. This is, I mean, I just love that. Like, there's, it's a bit, I mean, he, he does it more than once during the film. We're seeing it twice here where like, for example, Finn's like, you know, poses to Finn, you must have a thousand questions. And his question is, where's Ray? We cut to Ray. And then in this one, where's Han? And we cut to Kylo Ren. That's, where Han is dead. Okay. Okay, here we go. Tied on a string indeed, General Hux. Well done. Are you telling me that this potentially galaxy-altering technology, active tracking, where you can track the, uh, ships through hyperspace, are you telling me that the First Order developed it and Snoke was not aware of that until this moment? That's a bit ridiculous to me. For Snoke to be like, Hux, you fucked up, man. And then Hux will be like, oh, oh, didn't we tell you? We've like developed the ability to track ships through hyperspace, thereby changing everything. I think that's a bit of a mistake in the film. Now, look at this freaking shot. I just think like this whole the whole color, color palette of this film with all the red... 10 out of 10. So good. I love this shot where you've just got these red kind of, I guess they are curtains, but it just this looks like this red void kind of. you got the Praetorian Guards, which interestingly, like they are also red, but they do stand out nicely against that background. They don't, they're not swallowed by it. you got the weirdos with this looking eyepiece thing. you got Hux and then you've got the man in gold. 
supremely does not. Now, this is an interesting thing. So, Hux is leaving now. Kylo is entering. Hux does the, like, smarmy git, like, smile at Kylo as in, like, Dad's happy with me and Dad's angry with you. It's good. I like that. Now, listen to what Snoke says in this bit. All right. Now, my reading of that line is that he's talking to Kylo about Hux. That, of course, was my first impression, and I think that's what, what your first impression is supposed to be. You wonder why I keep a rabid cur in such a position of power. A cur's weakness, properly manipulated, can be a sharp tool. Now, that line stuck in my head a bit. I don't see how any of Hux's weaknesses are being manipulated into being sharp tools by Snoke. What I do see is Kylo's weaknesses being manipulated and being turned into sharp tools by Snoke. Is it potentially... That kind of situation where somebody is insulting someone to their face by appearing to us insult someone else. I've actually experienced that. I think when I was like 13 or 14, like I, you know, I had no metal friends and I, I maybe, I think I wrote to some, like back in those days, kids, uh, you had to, like make pen friends by like, so I think it was in the, like a hot metal magazine or something that, you know, people were in there looking for pen friends and I just didn't know anyone who liked metal. And I looked and I thought, okay, I found one. And I wrote to this woman, this girl, you know, she was maybe a year or two older than me, um, to talk about metal and stuff. And she was from Tasmania or something. Anyway, somehow I did end up meeting her and I think she was really disappointed because, I, at that point, had never been to any gigs and I think I seemed a bit soft to her because I remember she was telling me, yeah, man, I saw this gig and it was like the mosh was sick, bro, and like there was fucking blood on the stage and, you know, but, you know, so my friend, and I think I had said like, I, I want to go to gigs, but my mom won't let me. <laughs> And she said, uh, like, later, like, oh, you know, oh, uh, yeah, I've got some friends, though, but, like, whose mums won't let them go to gigs or something. And I was, I kind of laughed, like, ha, ha. And I was like, I think she's insulting me to my face. <laughs> anyway, um, I feel like that's what's going on here. Like, I don't really understand how that line can relate to Hux. He's got plenty of weaknesses. I don't see them that, that Snoke is manipulating any of them, though. I think that he's dissing Kylo to his face. Hmm. Let's continue. How's your wound? Whoa, that comment. 
I love this scene, man. Come on. I just remember in the cinema, because sometimes there's like, because there is there is there is dialogue that feels like Star Wars dialogue. You know what I mean? And sometimes when you um, when you hear these scenes or see these scenes for the first time, it is Star Wars dialogue. But because there's a bit of a goofiness to Star Wars dialogue, sometimes it can be a bit funny. So I just remember in this one feeling that way. But now I love it absolutely. That potential of your bloodline. A new. Whoa. Dude, I just like I just love how. Oof. This is so well done, the way they set up how Snoke is horrible to, to Kylo Ren and it really sets up what comes later so well. And then oh, when he pulls that mask off and you see like the the damage in his, like not just the physical damage, but the emotional damage. Sorry, I, I I should be talking, but now I'm just like watching it. To snuff it out. Ah, it's so good that. That, alas, you are no Vader. You're just a child in a mask. I just love, like, I mean, Kylo has, as he says, given everything. Like, he's just committed the most heinous act he could have possibly committed to prove to himself and to Snoke how, like, committed he is. And Snoke's just like, Nah, you, you, you're a disappointment. Now this scene in the in the just in the music here looks down at that helmet, that mask, and just it's shot so beautifully, man. Wham! Just that that temper and that fury in, in him coming out again. Yeah, you see the, the crushed smoking uh, ruin of that mask and helmet on the floor. Wow. 
like I always say, I don't love everything about this movie, but the stuff I love, I think, is top-tier Star Wars. All right, folks, that's it. Um, I'm looking forward to more Last Jedi. It's, yeah, it's it's really fun to watch it. Watch the movies in bits like this. You get the different perspective. Your, diff- your focus shifts as you when you do this kind of stuff. Uh, thanks for listening. My name is Tom Sutton. This is Star Wars Fun for everyone, especially me. Eee.